You may be seated. So as we move into the congregational prayer time, I'd like to share a, a concern of my own, and I'm sure concerned of my wife's as well. Uh, a little bit of a story. We have plenty of time because I'm not long-winded. Uh, about 10 years ago, our daughter and son-in-law moved to Denver from New York, and we began to visit them, and they lived in a particular neighborhood in Denver called the Highlands Neighborhood, kind of over by Lakewood Amusement Park, if you're familiar with where that is, quite a ways from here. And a lot of times during the day, I would go out and uh, yes, the children are welcome to leave. I forgot to say that for children's church. And I would walk around the neighborhood. And there was a Baptist church in the neighborhood that I knew nothing about. I'd never heard of it before. I didn't know anything about it. But, you know, that still small voice? And there was a still small voice in my mind that said, Someday you will have something to do with that church. And I thought, why? Why would I? I? I have no idea why I would. Our daughter and son-in-law went to a different church, and they always wanted us to go with them on Sunday, help take care of the grandchildren. Of course, we always went to their church with them on Sundays. And I kept thinking, someday I'm going to visit that church, but it never happened. And, and our daughter and son-in-law moved far away from there, way over to a different neighborhood in Denver. And uh, then when we bought our condo and I retired to be near them and to help them with the grandchildren, I just dismissed that from my mind. I thought, well... That was a weird thought that I had. Then one day I got a call from the area minister of that Baptist denomination, and he said, their interim pastor is quitting. Would you be willing to preach for them on two Sundays a month? I said, well, that's an interesting invitation. By the way, yeah, I think God already told me that a long time ago. So I preached in August on the first and the second Sunday of August, and they invited me to become their preaching pastor so I will not be here on the first and third Sundays of the month, but I'll be a missionary from Peace Mennonite Community Church to the American Baptists over in Denver, and uh, hopefully taking the word of God to them. It's a church that is, I hate to say this, but the streaming service, the stream isn't on, so kind of a dying church, uh, uh, you know, not thriving very much. So I will try to bring something of the spirit that we have here and the spirit of God into that church, into that pulpit. So pray for me as I go into that new area of ministry. And I'm excited about it, a little bit nervous about it too. So thank you. And Phil, would you come and lead the congregational prayer? Thank you, Roger, for sharing with us. And thank you for doing a great job of leading music this morning too. Um, um, you know, the congregational prayer time is just an opportunity for us to come before our Lord, to share with our Lord um, personal things as well as corporate things, congregational things. We just want to ask the Lord for his blessing on this congregation and all he has, in, his hand is in so much now that we just want to ask his, continue to ask his blessing on that. A couple of things I'd like to share with you in terms of the congregational prayer time this morning would be um, Marie. As many of you, I think, know or are aware, she has uh, been suffering from gallstones. And uh, tomorrow morning, or tomorrow sometime it is, during the, she's having surgery to have her, uh, her gallbladder removed. So that's probably a relief. <laughs> um, so she'll be glad to get rid of that. She's had a couple of bouts of it, I guess, I think maybe two or something like that. And uh, they can be extremely painful, so she'll be glad to get that uh, moving on from that. 
So we want to remember to pray for Roger this morning as he brings the morning message and uh, uh, just that the Lord will bless, put on his heart the message that he wants us to hear this morning. Um, and we also like to pray for the congregation itself. I'd like to ask that we pray for just a renewed mission in discipleship focus that we're, we're doing here. Um, just that uh, it'll touch hearts and touch people and uh, be really meaningful and, and invigorate this congregation. Uh, let's remember to pray for Santiago's, uh, Pastor Kevin and Michaela and Theodore and Everett. The boys have been sick. Everett's in the hospital or went to the emergency room this week. Uh, now Kevin's sick. Michaela's not yet, but she probably will be before it's over. And uh, um, so let's just remember to pray for them. And there may be other uh, people with flu here at the congregation I'm not aware of or hadn't heard of it, but let's just pray for them and their healing. Um, and let's also remember to pray for Sarah, who stopped by the church the other one day this week when I was here, and Pastor Kevin, several of us were here. But anyway, her, her uncle, Mike, passed away this, I think it was this week, or earlier this week or towards the end of the week. I just want to remember to pray for her and the family as they grieve for the uncle passing away. Um, Beth shared with me this morning um, that uh, Elizabeth, who's usually with her and Steve every Sunday morning, is home sick uh, with a bad ear infection, correct? And it's a real bad one, and she's just worried and concerned about it, and we want to pray for Elizabeth for healing uh, for that bad ear infection. Um, something else that struck me this morning is that all the running around early on when we figured out that Pastor Kevin wasn't going to be here and other things happened, I'm just thankful for the the people that serve here, the staff, but Ginger that was running around because things were busy this week and we didn't get all the contact cards put out, and so she was busy trying to do some stuff this morning, but Roger making changes in his plan to preach so that Bill didn't have to be terrified at what to do um, this morning. And uh, uh, But just Barb and, and Chris up in the, in the crow's nest and Marie taking over the children's uh, church this morning for Michaela. Just all these people that have stepped up and just take care of things and uh, keep things moving. So I just, I'm so grateful for all the people that do that. So are there any other prayer requests that people have that would like to share this morning? That's right. <laughs> okay. She's, uh, they're stopping your heart, right? Trying to reset it. Or, and so, but they're going to knock her out to do it. And for, for a couple of hours, is it? Yeah, two to three hours she'll be out. And so uh, let's just pray for her as she navigates that or the stress points in there that, uh, that are associated with, with surgery or with that kind of... Anytime they put you out, it makes you a little nervous. So, uh, Mike? Mike was just sharing uh, thanks for the church support and, the, and cards and stuff that, that were given to him and, and, uh, over their, their grieving during the time of grieving for Mike's sister that passed away a week or a week and a half ago and the service was last Monday. So he was just saying thank you for that. 
Let's, let's bow our heads in prayer, if you would. Almighty God, we are your children, and we are here this morning to worship you, to praise your name, to celebrate your love and your generosity to us. Lord, we pray that uh, your presence here this morning will be felt by each of us, that we'll hear and understand your message that you have for us this morning. We pray, pray here for our ministry here in Aurora, that uh, we can and will seek the opportunities that you present to us, that you'll open our eyes, that uh, we'll hear your voice and your leading. Lord, this morning we, uh, we bring to you Marie. We lift her up. And Fran, we lift her up as they go into the hospital this week, and Marie tomorrow, and Fran later. Just we ask that you bless those doctors, that you will, you will guide their hands and their knowledge and what they need to do to do the work that you that's needed for each of them for their health, Lord, and that you restore their health. Lord, I just pray for Roger this morning as he brings the morning message. Lord, give him the words that you want him and want want us to hear. Lord, I just pray for this congregation and that for a renewed mission and discipleship focus that we have here and that uh, you will lead that and we will feel your leading in it. Lord, I also pray for Kevin and Michaela and the boys as they're healing from being sick, the flu or whatever it is, Lord. We just ask for your blessing on the family that you'll heal them. Lord, we pray for Sarah and the family for the loss, their sorrow, and their loss of their Uncle Mike. Lord, we also want to pray for Elizabeth this morning and ask for healing on her body for this severe ear infection that she has, that uh, you will comfort her and, and just heal her body, Lord. And Lord, I also thank you for the, the staff and all the people that, are, that make this congregation function and help make Sunday morning happen. Lord, I just thank you for each of them and what they mean to all of us, often behind the scenes, Lord. And Lord, I want to pray for Roger this morning as he shared with us that uh, this Baptist church that's asking for his help, Lord, just ask that he is a blessing to them, that he brings messages to them that are fitting and appropriate, that you guide him in that those messages and that they will feel the blessing of having him there preaching to them. Lord, we ask all these things in your precious name. Amen. They say that when you get up to speak, um, the one thing you should never do is start with an apology. But I have to this morning because I only found out I was going to be preaching this morning about an hour before uh, the service began. And I actually called Pastor Kevin and begged him not to come. He was not well, but he was going to come. But it would not have been good for him. His voice was very gravelly, very difficult for him to speak. He was not feeling well. So just out of the blue, without thinking about it, I said, I, I will, I'll fill in for you. Please let me do that. And then when he said yes, I thought, oh, I don't have a sermon. <laughs> hmm, okay. So, of course, I went and looked up some of my older sermons that I worked on, that I preached, and, and every one of them just didn't feel right. It just wasn't something that I should preach today. And then I thought, well, 
Pastor Kevin is in a series on discipleship. And so I'm going to continue that. I'm going to talk about what I believe about discipleship. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I hear a sermon on discipleship or hear that I'm going to hear a sermon on discipleship, I get a little nervous because I'm not sure I'm up to it. And I hear in the sermon on discipleship things that I'm not sure I can do. And I don't always hear how I can do them. I hear what I'm supposed to do, and then I think, but I don't have the strength in my own power, in my own will, to be that kind of disciple. So where does that come from? So my first point to you, but it's not on the outline, is the power to be a disciple can only come from God. We don't have it in ourselves. If we rely on ourselves to be disciples, we will fail. God is the one who gives us the strength. The ability and even the will to be disciples. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. It starts out, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, if you stop there, I would go, oh no, I can't do that. But then, Paul says, and it's like he immediately thought, oh no, I better tell them how. For God is at work in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. So if we can be disciples in kind of the ways Pastor Kevin has been talking about it, and then I'm going to talk about it today out of Romans chapter 12, which he's also preached out of, if we accomplish any of that, we can't take credit for it. We can't say, well, look what a good disciple I am, because all of it comes from God. And all the glory goes to God because all the ability comes from him. So... As I was thinking about that before I wrote the outline for my sermon, and that's all it really is, it's not a manuscript or anything, it's just talking points that I'm going to go through with you after I read Romans 12, an old song came to my mind, which happens all the time. My wife could testify that I get up many mornings and say, do you remember this old song? And sometimes she'll say, hmm. No, I don't remember that one. Then it's one from my childhood, because we didn't go to the same church when we were little children. And I'll go running to YouTube and look it up, and, oh, there it is, someone singing that old song that I haven't sung in many, many years. Well, this isn't that old, but it was written by a friend of my parents named Hubert Mitchell. So I grew up hearing it sung quite a bit, and um, it's a song about what God gives us. So... You, you can remain seated. Uh, I didn't give Barb warning about this, so we're not going to have any accompaniment. We're just going to sing like the Church of Christ next door. No instrumental music. If they can do it, we can do it. Right? So you might know it, and if you do, feel free to sing along with me. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus... He giveth 
and give us and give us again. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limit, His grace has no measure, His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of His infinite riches in Jesus, He giveth and giveth and giveth again. Thank you. I love that. That old hymn, and some of you knew it too and sang along with me. He giveth. He gives what we need to be disciples. So with that prologue, I want to assure you that being a disciple, as Brother Kevin is talking about it, and as I'm going to talk about it now, is not something that we can do. It's just not something in our own humanity that we're capable of. So don't feel guilty <laughs> as I go through my points, eight of them, about what discipleship involves. Don't feel inadequate. Don't say to yourself, well, I can't do that. Of course you can't do that. Neither can I. The Holy Spirit can do it in us and through us as we open our lives to the Holy Spirit to give us that ability. So I'm going to begin by reading uh, Romans 12, which I know we've heard before. Um, Pastor Kevin has read parts of it to us. This will be our scripture reading for today, Romans 12, a very important passage about discipleship. So this is Paul's advice, more than advice, the word of God through Paul to the Roman Christians. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I hope that little passage, the first two verses of that chapter, brought back some of the lyrics of the hymns that we sang. They're worked into those hymns. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor to each other. Do not lag in zeal. 
Be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. So the outline is on one side of the handout, if you have that. And the song was on the other side, which I forgot to mention. I apologize if you didn't know where the song sheet was. So I have eight points about discipleship that just came to me this morning. No, really, I think about them a lot. And so I just quickly wrote them down, and they're all from Romans 12. First of all is nonconformity to the world. Now this is a major theme of Mennonite history and theology. And those of you who came to the Sunday school class in the fall where we talked about Mennonite history and theology, I tried to emphasize, because we often forget our own tradition, and some of you are new to it, nonconformity to the world. But I grew up in a church that wasn't Mennonite, and we emphasized this in a fairly extreme way. I used to tell my students at seminary uh, that I grew up in an urban Amish church. Uh, we lived in the city, and we drove cars, old, clunky cars. I remember when one family in the church bought a brand new Cadillac, and everybody was astonished, and not in a good way. If you had that much money, you were supposed to give it to missions. So the pastor visited that family that week and told them they needed to sell that car and give the money to missions. So we were, you know, pretty conservative in our view of things. Conspicuous consumption is what we called that. If someone bought a car they didn't really need just to show off, that was the sin of conspicuous consumption. And what's behind that? So the whole idea behind that was not conforming to the world. Now let me talk about that word world just a little bit. Because it can be confusing. When people hear that we shouldn't conform to the world, they often think of the earth, like the planet, and nature, trees, and mountains. And that's not what Paul was talking about here. There are actually two different words for world in the Greek. One is cosmos, which means the universe, and the other one is aeon, which means the world system. The way the world works socially. So Paul was telling us here, don't conform to the way the world works. And many different people have speculated about what exactly that means. But of course, we can go back to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and see some of what that meant. That it's the poor, it's the vulnerable, it's the weak, it's the meek of the earth that Jesus said will inherit the kingdom of God. 
One Anabaptist author, I don't know if he was Mennonite or not, but he was Anabaptist, Donald Craybill, wrote a book called The Upside-Down Kingdom, in which he talked about how in the New Testament we see that the kingdom of God is upside down from the world's systems outside the church. But too often the world's systems creep into the church and into our lives. And that's why Paul is saying to uh, the Romans and to us, no, don't let the world's system creep into your life and take over it. There has to be a certain amount of resistance to the world as world system. So what is that world system? Well, we could enumerate so many things. Consumerism, that your life is defined by what you have, by your material possessions, what car you drive, what clothes you wear. That's the world system, not ours. Another part of the world system is domination. That some people are more powerful and, and lord it over other people. Another part of the world system is war and violence. There are all kinds of things in the world system. If you want to know where to see it, watch television. Television is full of it. My wife could testify that I'm often sitting there during uh, the commercials, either muting it or criticizing the commercials. Because they're all, almost all trying to convince us that we need things we don't need. And that we deserve them. We don't deserve perfect hair. We don't deserve the latest expensive car. And we don't need them. So, Paul is telling us here to resist the world system. Be suspicious of what non-Christian world is telling us that we ought to be like and put up a certain amount of resistance to that. Don't conform to that, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by Scripture, the Holy Spirit, and our fellowship together as non-conforming Christians. So that's one that comes to mind immediately when I think about Anabaptist, Mennonite discipleship, but also the Pentecostal church that I grew up in. Both were saturated with the idea of nonconformity to the world's systems. Secondly, humility. Paul talks in chapter 12 that we just read about letting go of yourself, not being self-centered and puffed up and haughty. And that's a natural tendency that many people have, and maybe all of us to a certain extent, to kind of define ourselves in terms of, of what we've accomplished and to want to show that off and want people to know about it. You know, put all my degree letters behind my name. I don't. And I encouraged my students not to uh, put me up on a pedestal because I'm just one of you. So Paul is talking about uh, humility and not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to. Well, how highly ought we to think of ourselves as sinners saved by grace? And that's it. That's the best thing about us. There's nothing better about us than that. But we can't even be proud of that except in Jesus and what he's done for us. Our pride should be in him, not in ourselves. But humility is something that when I read the ancient church fathers, second, third, fourth century ancient church fathers, they emphasized humility so much because there was so much pride in the Roman Empire and so much looking up to the emperor and to the rich and the powerful and so forth. 
and the lowly, the meek, and the poor were left behind and forgotten about. And, and the early church fathers, such as John Chrysostom, they called him Golden Mouth because he preached from the pulpit of the cathedral in Constantinople. And he was the emperor's pastor. How would you like to be the emperor's pastor? This was after the Roman Empire became so-called Christian. And John Chrysostom, who they called Golden Mouth, would get up and preach at the emperor and empress and tell them that they needed to go home to their palace and melt down their golden uh, bathroom fixtures and sell the gold and give it to the homeless in the streets. Well, as you can imagine, he didn't last very long as the emperor's pastor. But his whole message was humility. Not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to. The reason they called him Golden Mouth was because he was such an articulate preacher. And get this, according to reliable sources, when he had preached an hour and would begin to step down from the pulpit, the congregation would surround him and not let him leave the sanctuary of the cathedral until he went up and preached longer. And his sermons were normally three hours. And then he was just exhausted and couldn't keep going. Of course, they didn't have television back then. Third, a way of discipleship is immersing ourselves in the body of the church. And I think that's what Pastor Kevin was going to talk about today, connectedness. The church is our family. When I grew up in church, I really didn't know who I was related to and who I wasn't related to because we were one family. Yes, there were some people in the church who were kind of on the margins and not really fully in, but we met together often. When I was a kid, Sunday morning, Sunday school, worship service, youth group in the evening, Sunday evening worship, which I would take a pillow to because it would go on so long, uh, Tuesday night prayer meeting, Thursday night Bible study, and then two or three times a year revival meeting where you were there every night of the week for a week or two. The church was our home. We knew everybody. And unfortunately, everybody knew everything about everybody. That wasn't always a good thing. But we were a family. We were connected to each other. And I feel that here. And that's one of the reasons we come to this church. Because I feel that that's the way we are. And we can always be more that way. So immersing yourself in the body of the church means coming whenever you can. You know, be here. In the church I grew up in, you know, if we had 12 inches of snow on Saturday night, the church doors were open, and everyone was expected to be there, no matter what the weather was. Unless you were sick, of course, then you'd get a pass on that. Fourth, using the gifts God has given. Paul talks about this in Romans 12 and other places. Every Christian has a gift. You've been given some gift, and there are many of them listed in the New Testament. And when we hear gifts of the Spirit, sometimes we think, oh, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to be one of those Pentecostals or Charismatics who talk about the gifts of the Spirit all the time and speak in tongues. Well, that's not the only gift of the Spirit. There are lots of gifts of the Spirit, and Paul enumerates some of them here in chapter 12. Compassion is a gift of the Spirit. Showing mercy to people, praying, witnessing. All those things are gifts of the Spirit. Everyone has a gift of the Spirit. And one of the ways to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to find out what is your gift and use it. And don't let it go to waste. Fifth, persevering in prayer. 
You know, the Bible also says, do not cease praying. Pray at all times. Never give up. Don't cease praying. Some people take that to an extreme. I've actually met some people who think they pray all the time. It's like there's a prayer in the back of their head that's going all the time. And okay, that's fine for them. Uh, I think what Paul means, though, is to not give up praying. Not to get to the point where you think prayer doesn't matter anymore. Sometimes our prayers aren't answered the way we want them to, and we're tempted to give up. Uh, a little bit ago during the prayer time or the request for prayer, I heard ear, ear infection. I've got to tell you a story. So our daughter, Amanda, who I've mentioned several times, I'm sure she would not appreciate it. Um, when she was little, about four years old, I think, she had ear infection after ear infection after ear infection. And we're constantly taking it to the doctor, and nothing was really helping. The antibiotics weren't, weren't working. So finally, the specialist, I can't pronounce the specialist in that, your nose and throat specialist, said, hmm, we're going to have to do surgery and put um, tubes in her eardrums. We did not want that because we knew that those come out and then they have to be put back in again. And then it's a, it's a real trauma. So the night before she was going in for her pre-surgery checkup, uh, we actually had the congregation of the church we were going to at that time gather around us and her and lay hands on us and her and pray for healing. And I kid you not, you can ask my wife, this is really what happened. We took her to the pre-surgical uh, visit with the uh, ear, nose, and throat specialist. The same one. He looked at it. He looked in her ear and said, there's nothing wrong with her ears. We're not going to do the surgery. And she never had another ear infection. Now, is that a miracle? Well, I don't know what else to call it. You know, God answers prayer. Not always, not in the way we expect him to, not in the way we want him to, but we're encouraged to never give up praying anyway, even when we don't have an explanation, even when we can't say, well, God didn't answer that prayer because that person didn't have enough faith. No, we, let's not say that. Let's just say God knows what he's doing. He's not arbitrary. There are times maybe when he can't answer a prayer the way we want him to because he knows all the details of the circumstance. Six, showing hospitality to strangers. I think that is one of the hardest ones for us as Americans, is showing hospitality to strangers. What are we going to do with all the homeless people? Are we going to just open our doors and let them all come in, or what? Well, one way of showing hospitality to strangers is out there in the foyer, the food giveaway. And sometimes I notice that some people come mainly when there's going to be food out there and when we're going to have a potluck downstairs. And I say, praise the Lord, let them come. Let's show them hospitality. So showing hospitality to strangers is a part of discipleship. One of the hardest parts, I think, because out of fear, we're just not sure what's going to happen. But I have known many, many people who have shown hospitality to strangers, sometimes to angels unawares. Seventh, living at peace with people. And another hard one, because we've all been injured by people. We've all had people betray us. We've all had people say bad things to us, about us, or do bad things to us. Paul is encouraging us in our discipleship, with the help of God, to not seek vengeance on them, but to live at peace with them, to even pray for them and do good to them. And finally, resisting evil and doing good. 
Paul talks here about that we are supposed to resist evil. Now, this is odd because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, do not resist evildoers. Well, here Paul is saying, resist evil. Oh, but see, this is why we need theologians. Okay, I'm one. To explain, that's not a contradiction. Jesus said, don't resist evildoers, meaning don't go after them, don't try to injure them, don't attack them, do good to them. And Paul says that right here in Romans 12. So what does he mean by resisting evil? Not evil people so much as evil in the culture around us and that creeps into our lives. Temptation, in other words. Resist temptation and do good to all people insofar as it's possible for you to do that. So those are my eight points about discipleship. I don't think Pastor Kevin will disagree with them, but if he does, you know, I said to Pastor Kevin one day when we were having coffee and conversation, you know, we really need to think of something we disagree about. Because there's an old Russian saying that says, where two think alike, one is superfluous. I said to him, which one of us is it? I hope it's you. We do agree about most things, and we have to work hard to find things that maybe we disagree about. So let's pray, and then sing our final hymn. Father in heaven, we know that we're weak. We know that discipleship is not something that we can do on our own, but we ask for your Holy Spirit and for brothers and sisters to come around us and to help us to be good disciples. Be with Pastor Kevin as he continues this sermon series on discipleship, but help us to know through it all that it's you who gives us the ability to be disciples. Just help us to want to be disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.